David brings the nation together for a new beginning. But tribal squabbles start another conflict that threatens to devolve into further war. On The Bible Brief. Today is review day on The Bible Brief. If you haven't left us a five-star review on your podcast player, will you do that today? Reviews are a key way that new people find out about the show. Gilgal was the city of new beginnings for Israel. The city where Joshua and his army had come first after crossing the Jordan River to finally come into the land of Canaan. Gilgal's name even had a connotation of new beginnings. It's a name meaning roll, and Joshua named the place Gilgal because of what God had said to him that day around 500 years before. Upon the circumcision of all the males in Israel, God had said, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It was as if God was saying, Your old life is over, and now it's time for a new beginning. The kingdom of Israel also had its roots in Gilgal. After King Saul had successfully defeated the Ammonite siege of Jabesh-Gilead, all Israel came to Gilgal to confirm Saul as king over them and to sacrifice peace offerings before the Lord. If there was a place for David to go next, it was Gilgal. That would be the place where peace might have a chance. A place for a new beginning. Absalom was dead. His army was defeated and it was now time for David to resume his leadership of the nation. Israel was not to be a nation of sheep without a shepherd. No, they were to have David and his descendants rule over them forever. At Gilgal, David will attempt to renew his kingship over the people and reunify the 12 tribes of Israel. But this would be no easy task. Families had been ripped apart and allegiances to Absalom or to David had frayed relationships. Suspicions and jealousies abounded. David would have to work hard to tactfully create one nation out of many tribes. The beginning of the peace was the easiest part. The northern tribes in Israel saw that their temporary king Absalom was dead, and they remembered all the success that had accompanied David's kingship. They quickly came back to their former king, glad to have him in leadership once again. More difficult, however, was working on David's own tribe of Judah. They had some reticence in welcoming David back to the kingship, and it's no wonder, considering that the rebellion had come from within David's own family. Judah was socially fractured in odd ways from David's family drama. But to win Judah over, David does something unexpected. He makes the former leader of Absalom's army the new leader of his army. His number one commander was no longer Joab, who had killed Absalom. Now it was Amasa. So David effectively unified his kingship with the military head from Absalom, creating unity where lasting division could have mounted. This must have shocked the nation to see a recent enemy become a new right-hand man. But David was strategically trying to stitch together easily torn fabric. Concessions and realignment were necessary to keep the nation together. Now with this appointment of Amasa, Judah saw their king's attempt at peace and honored it. He had gained their allegiance once again. After this, David begins a campaign of pardoning his enemies and rewarding his friends. He pardons a man from the tribe of Benjamin who had publicly cursed him on the road out of Jerusalem. 
He pardons a man who slandered the son of his best friend, Jonathan. He offers reward to foreigners who had aided him. Overall, David expressed mercy and magnanimity in the face of potential conflict. Then David sends messengers to tell the people that he's headed to Gilgal. Many people from Israel come to meet him on the east side of the Jordan River to escort him across the river to go to the city. David's peaceful overtures have appeared to win the hearts of the people back. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 19, starting in verse 40, that all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way to Gilgal. David's tribe shows up in full force, and before even waiting for the rest of the tribes to completely show up, they escort David and his men to Gilgal. Funny enough, David's campaign that began to create peace between the tribes created such intense loyalty to David that tribes began fighting about something else. Ten of the northern tribes of Israel began quarreling with the tribe of Judah, arguing basically about who got a claim to David as one of their own. Next we read this. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David we also have more than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. A temporary peace was achieved by David, but among the tribes, differences continued to fester. David was the glue that was holding them together, and for the moment, that glue held everything at peace. And everything did hold, until someone from the tribe of Benjamin, angered at Judah's claims on David, breaks the delicate peace. Next we read this. Now there happened to be there a worthless man, whose name was Sheba, a Benjaminite. And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in this son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from David and followed Sheba. But the men of Judah followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. All it took was one angry man from the tribe of Benjamin, and the peace that had been quickly achieved was just as quickly shattered. Sheba effectively says, David will not be our king. If Judah wants to claim him, Judah can have him. But the rest of Israel, we're done with David. Lasting peace was proving elusive for the returning king. Now days later, after David had taken up residence in his house again at Jerusalem, he apparently makes a strategic decision necessary for peace. Sheba's little rebellion needed to be stifled before the rest of Israel didn't just rebel with him, but united around him. Time would prove to be David's enemy if he didn't take care of this problem quickly, and he doesn't want to make the same mistake Absalom did. He doesn't want to give Sheba time enough to regroup. Then the king said to Amasa, his new commander, Call the men of Judah together to me within three days, and be here yourself. So Amasa went to summon Judah, but he delayed beyond the set time that had been appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he get himself to fortified cities and escape from us. And there went out after him 
Joab's men, and the Carathites and the Pelathites, and all the mighty men. They went out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba. When they were at the great stone that is in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. David commands Amasa to quickly amass an army from Judah. And when Amasa doesn't return on time, David commands Abishai, Joab's brother, to take his place and march the gathering force to the place of Sheba. Joab, though demoted in the army of David, accompanies his brother on the march. However, soon the two brothers meet Amasa, who's apparently returning, though late, from summoning forces for the battle. You can imagine the tension. Joab, the angry and vengeful brother, sees his replacement approaching. Amasa sees Joab and knows that David selected him as Joab's replacement. Emotions surely began to mount. Now, Joab was wearing a soldier's garment, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath fastened on his thigh. And as he went forward, it fell out. And Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not observe the sword that was in Joab's hand. So Joab struck him with it in the stomach and spilled his entrails on the ground without striking a second blow. And he died. Then Joab and Abishai his brother pursued Sheba. And one of Joab's young men took his stand by Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. And Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the highway. What an ugly and threatening scene this was. Joab, ever vengeful, offers a feigned gesture at peace with Amasa before grabbing his beard and striking him through the stomach with a sword. Then Joab leaves him there, bleeding out while the army passes by. A ruthless act done in cold blood. Imagine being a soldier passing by Amasa's body. It would almost be a signal to you saying, Don't get on Joab's bad side or this is what will happen to you. This fear of Joab causes all the soldiers to fall in line. Joab has now thrust himself back into the lead of the nation's forces. Then the army continues to take on Sheba. And all the men who are with Joab came and besieged Sheba in the city of Abel of Bethmecha. They cast up a mound against the city and it stood against the rampart, and they were battering the wall to throw it down. Then a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab, come here that I may speak to you. And he came near her and the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Listen to the words of your servant. And he answered, I'm listening. Then she said, I'm one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? Joab answered, Far be it from me, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not true. But a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba has lifted up his hand against King David. Give him up alone and I will withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman went to all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba and threw it out to Joab. So Joab blew the trumpet, And they dispersed from the city, every man to his home. And Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. The rebellion of Sheba ends not with a bang, but with a whimper. The people of the city of Abel deliver his head to Joab, and with that swift action, 
the rebellion is stifled. The people of Israel's army return to their homes, and the final nail is put in the coffin of resistance. After Sheba's rebellion, David's power over Israel is secure. Peace, it turns out, was achieved by a wise woman in the city of Abel. A woman who was able to avoid lots of bloodshed by just delivering the rebel into the hands of Joab. While it was rather brutal, it was also rather effective for avoiding the leveling of her entire village by the bloodthirsty Joab. Peace was David's great desire, and it had finally been achieved. After so much bloodshed, both in his nation and in his family, Israel could finally move forward as a united people. The new beginning wasn't everything that David had hoped at Gilgal, but eventually it was achieved. David was strengthened, and rather than continuing internal battles, the nation could again focus on God's priorities. Just as Moses had said, the nation was to love God, follow the law, and take the land. A mandate for a king after God's own heart. David is back and ready to rule. Join us next time as we see David's successes in battle, followed by his final great sin. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023